Hi folks, and thank you for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. This is a conversation we had, oh, about, I don't know, two weeks ago now with uh, NUIG's Dr. Owen Daly, who is a constitutional law lecturer. And and the reason we did it is because members asked us, what's the story with the rotating Taoiseach? Is it, is it legal? Is there a precedence? How does it work? And they've also asked us, you know that thing about the right to housing referendum? How would it actually change things? So we got an expert in to talk to us. If you want to hear these podcasts when they're done, as quickly as I can turn them around, please join us. Patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. And what you've missed out on today was our 900th episode of Echo Chamber, where we were joined by Harry McEvansanya, who regular listeners will know is our polls guru. Shamim Malakmian from the Dublin Enquirer, as always, excellent. Siobhan McElduff joined us for the first time. So did Graeme Merrigan. You all know Mero, and if you don't know Mero, you should know Mero. And Aoife Grace Moore of the Sunday Times now. So we went through a lot of stuff in, in front of a live audience of our members. We'd really love you to join us. We'd love you to come on board. We know it's tough out there, but the only way we keep this show on the road is if you guys chip in. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise All of that content is available right now in one feed, and you don't have to listen to me begging you for money. And unfortunately, beg you, I must. Thanks for listening and enjoy this really, really informative conversation with uh, Dr. Owen Daly. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and happy Monday morning, Martin. How are you? Thanks, Tony. Yeah, fine. Bright as a button. Bright as a button. Kill me now. Kill me. <laughs> you, you really... I'm glad this podcast is only audio because you do not look... You, like, you, like there's honestly just two slits where your eyes should be. Yeah, what time? You know. what, what time do your eyes arrive at? Uh, somewhere around noon, when the rest of the rest of my body catches up with the day. Uh, I, listen, I do want to say a couple of things just before we kick off. There's a lot coming this week. Obviously, we're going to be covering the budget in some more detail. Jed Nash is joining us, and Roshin Shorthall is joining us as well. So we've got those to come in. We're going back to the US, hopefully, with John Schwartz, depending on whether we can get the the, the dates in the diary. But um, lots of you people who are our patrons, this is a message for the patrons. You you have paid for an annual charge your annual charge is renewing please 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 don't if, if you feel in a position where you can't do the annual charge don't feel like you're obliged to because i'm getting these stories martin sadly where people are finding it hard at the moment now and i know we're talking about a five or a month but people are paying annually we're paying you know 60 quid up front or whatever it is you don't have to you you can you can go back on the month you can cancel do whatever you want to do i just don't like reading the story people saying oh tony i feel really bad don't feel bad you have to do what you have to do this is uh un- you don't feel bad when i write your letters saying tony i need a few squid because yeah, <laughs> there's nothing in the kitty that's why <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen, um, we better we better introduce our guest. We are rejoined on the podcast by Dr. Owen Daly, who's a constitutional lecturer. Uh, and uh, listeners will remember we've had Owen on a couple of times previously to talk about some of the uh, more in- interesting um, legal nuances and, and, and how things operate or don't operate in, in, in Ireland. And this is something that maybe, Martin, you've been kind of up on your hobby horse about this this topic for a while. So before we before we start, Martin, what why what has agitated you about the uh, rotation of the T shock that's happening in December? I, I think that when the government resigns, and, and it's my opinion, when the government resigns, the government resigns. And I think that if they go and reappoint another T shock, another fine finance minister, and it's not reappoint, it's reelect among themselves. 
that we're missing the vital step that we've always had before, which is a general election. And I don't think that's fair. I understand that this is new constitutional ground, that this hasn't been done before. It's not strictly wrong. It's not strictly right. But what I think it is, is anti-democratic. Oh, tell him what what he's wrong. I I agree and disagree. On the one hand, you know, I do agree that the the whole concept of the rotating Taoiseach is, is a bit misleading because it is technically impossible to rotate the figure of Taoiseach within the government. So when the incumbent resigns by default, automatically the whole government resigns and you have a government, the government falls, basically. Um, so you don't rotate the Taoiseach, you appoint a new Taoiseach and a new government. So the whole the whole phrase, the concept of the rotating Taoiseach really exaggerates the stability and the inevitableness, I suppose, of the whole arrangement. You know what I mean? It kind of, it kind of makes, it, it, it makes it seem as a done deal when, in fact, it's all very contingent. Uh, on the other hand, it, it isn't really, you know, it isn't that much of a novelty as such to have uh, a new government without an election. For, I mean, the, whether or not there should be an election when a government falls, I think, is 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 an interesting question. But uh, whenever a Taoiseach resigns, say for example, uh, Bertie made way for Brian Cowan, uh, by the same measure, you know, just because it's within the same party, it's still a new government actually. So even if you if you have a, if you have a government new government where every post is held by the same person except the Taoiseach. It's still a change of government. To change Taoiseach is to change government. It's a new government. Um, and you would also have, even, even say, even aside from, say, party successions like Bertie to Bertie to Cowan, uh, in the mid-90s, you would have had uh, a new government configuration arising from within the same doll without a general election. So after the Fianna Fáil Labour coalition collapsed in 1994, over the appointment of Harry Wheel into the High Court as president of the High Court, sorry, um, what happened was that normally you would have had had an automatic general election. Okay? Normally, the fall of a government would automatically trigger general election. But uh, what happened instead was that a new majority configuration was formed from within the same doyle. Uh, on that occasion, a, a majority coalition um, that we now we call the, the the rainbow. Oh. Yeah. coalition you know and um is that a always a bad thing well you know uh, I, I, often i think it is good that the people you know obviously you should have a, a new, the people should have their say over um a new process of government formation but but i mean the, there's a number of things to be said about that um you know first of all after any general election uh, very often, any number of possible combinations are possible. Majority configurations are possible. The people really don't have a direct control over that. You can form a majority in de- several different ways from within any given doll after any given general election. Uh, that's the, the you know that's the one thing I'd say about it. But the other thing is, Martin, is that I would think that there's something to be said for the idea that you can collapse a government. You can remove a government without it triggering a general election. Okay, why? Because it makes it easier to remove a government. Okay, if we have a general protocol, if we have an assumption that every collapse of government triggers an automatic general election, what that does is to disincentivize 
the removal of a government. From the point of view of an ordinary TD, in whose power is theoretically lies, the majority of the doll can fall, can collapse a government. If a TD of any stripe understands that voting down a government triggers a general election, they are massively disincentivized from doing it because they have to face the electorate sooner than they otherwise would. What's wrong with facing the electorate? You know, nothing, obviously, you know, but but, uh, the realpolitik is that the threat of government collapse triggering elections has a way of making everybody fall in line. That's all. So, Do you think there's a better phrase than rotating? I hate the phrase rotating T-shock. Do you think um, there's something more legally accurate that betterly describes it? There's a, um, the, well, there was a non-binding political, political agreement, okay, for a, ter- a, ter- a time-limited government, okay, for governments. There was, a, if you were to, if you were to be very retentive, okay, and you're trying to, describe the political arrangement we now have in terms of, I suppose, constitutionally accurate, you would say there was a non-binding political agreement following the last general election to to maintain a government in office for two years and then to replace it with a differently composed government for a further two years. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if I have the time frames exactly right there. No, but, I think no, like, that no, sounds. No, I like the non-binding. The yeah, non-binding I mean, strikes. Really. Not, but, but you see, the thing is, you, you see, the thing is, in 2020, you can't strike a deal for who will be in power in 2022. It's just, it's not, it's not. You know, there's no way of doing that other than through political agreements. The thing about the, the thing about the rotating arrangement, the so-called rotating arrangement, if you like, is that. It always gave an advantage to the first, the person getting the first goal, because once you've had your goal, okay, uh, there's nothing, say, to stop the incumbent reneging on the deal and triggering triggering a general election, which is a power that Ishak has, okay, and there will be all sorts of ways of presenting that that aren't, you know, don't look like reneging. Yeah, they could manufacture ways, and and that's that's my little okay. words, not yours. This is. Uh, well, I mean, the, go, you can all you, you can always ever go. It's, it's always very difficult to oppose the idea of going to the people. You know, and as governments often do. It has been done. I mean, uh, even say when when uh, Theresa May tried to pull a fast one in twenty seventeen hmm. uh, by having an early general election to try to crush uh, Labour, and it all backfired, as we know. Uh, at the time, under the arrangements at the time, she actually needed two thirds of the commons to agree to an early election. And of course, the opposition had to agree because they were like, you know, they couldn't be seen to be afraid to face the, to, 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 afraid of the fight, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, you know, all I'm saying here is that uh, it, obviously, like, there's nothing to guarantee the second term. The whole concept and phrase of, of a rotating Taoiseach probably, probably gives ordinary people the impression that it is a kind of a, it's a deal and it's a kind of a, it's something wrapped up in advance and that it is what it is, but that it's legally wrapped up in advance or that it's just, it's, it's a fait accompli. Mm-hmm. Whereas it, it isn't, but in, in, in a parliamentary system like ours, nothing is a fait accompli. There's, there's actually no term for governments. There's no, there's no fixed term for governments. A government continues for as long as the doll allows it to continue. And for complex psychological and political reasons, uh, the Doyle tends to allow governments to continue. Uh, it doesn't tend to collapse them every other month, you know, um, for better or worse. 
there are you know very strong stabilizing factors that you know d- deter members of the Dáil from actually collapsing governments. Uh, but in theory, I mean, the constitutional position is is that the tenure of government, its right to remain in power, uh, depends on the ongoing support of the Dáil at any given time. So there's you know you you can't guarantee who's in government next month or who the government is next month or six months, never mind two years down the line, you know? So it was always a bit of a, it was always, you know, it it, it was always far more precarious than what might be led to believe given these kinds of phraseology. Isn't it? It reminds me of going to the cinema and going in saying, now we stepped inside, suspend disbelief, please, and and just, you know, enjoy it. Because this is how it's been presented in in much the same way. It was, it. you say it's been presented as a, a fait accompli. It has. And, Everybody very quickly moved on with the idea, but now we're seeing the stitching of this is actually starting to fray. Where well, I mean, it? in fairness, like in, in fairness, there will there will have to be, and it'll be well acknowledged. There'll have to be a, a a formal process. Whenever Martin resigns, there's a very kind of formal process where the doll will have to basically elect. Um, uh, it isn't the phrase the constitution uses, but the doll will basically elect a new Taoiseach and. The, the standing orders of the Dáil would allow for that to be contested and for alternative candidates to be put forward. It will, I mean, from in the point of view of the actual events occurring, it won't at all have the appearance of a coronation or an automatic secession or anything like that. You can be damn sure the opposition will contest it and will 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 not kind of. Go Mark, just one that. point on it though. When I what I meant by the stitching of it was we see the infighting now over the the Ministry for Finance. You know we see the, you know the oh the campaign where where the now Tonis is saying well can we not just leave uh, Pascal Donahue in in finance and Michael McGrath and Fianna Fáil saying no and the T-shirt coming yeah. in saying that's not happening. Um, and and that is the kind of things that actually internally can trip up a process like that more so than um, you know Martin and Tony agitating on a on a on a left leaning yeah. podcast. So, you know, like I mean, d- disagreement can collapse a, a government obviously at any point. So I mean, it's not just the doll. I mean, governments aren't typically collapsed by the doll voting with no confidence. Uh, typically, you have some co- falling out between coalition partners, and then you know you have resignations and the the. the the, the the majority arrangement collapses and there isn't a government majority anymore. And then typically a Taoiseach requests an early general election because the coalition has collapsed. That's the most common way in which uh, early general elections happen. Uh, coalition collapse. Okay. Um, but uh, the thing is that the political dynamics of recent decades lean against that uh, partly because of the fact that I, I, I guess incumbent parties tend to suffer much more than they used to in general elections. So there were strong disincentives against either members of the government or their own TDs on their side, if you like, from consenting to an early general election. So there's huge, you know, the idea of an an election in which the opposition is very likely to win uh, has a way of focusing minds on agreements based basically so the people can continue in their jobs for for as long as possible. I mean that's the the that's the psychological reality of it. The fact that most people want um, to you know most people want security. Uh, most people would uh, you know rather remain a TD until twenty twenty four than until twenty twenty two or whatever. Uh, and that is the you know uh, in in uh, I guess the electorate have become more volatile. Uh, there is a higher rate of political turnover in general elections than there used to be. So that has a huge, in fact, that has a hugely stabilizing influence because there is 
um, there's a massive disincentive against TDs uh, or ministers indeed uh, consenting to an early general election. I mean, in Irish elections in recent years, in recent in recent elections, practically the only figure guaranteed of re-election uh, is the Taoiseach. And is even that a guarantee anymore? No, no. no. We, can, we can never say never. Um, but there would have been, you know, there would have been a time in which a minister losing their seat would have been very unusual. Yes. Mm. And that's not really the case anymore. The electorate have become extremely unforgiving altogether, uh, more volatile, you might say. And so, you know, people will but, tend to... But, but then again, TDs have become uh, more astute at finding constituencies, uh, you know, they can move from one constituency to another to, to try and bolster that, that vote base, you know. One last question from me on our own. This is where my w- real worry is. You end up with... With a rotating Taoiseach, you end up with a Taoiseach who is very unpopular, democratically very unpopular with the people. And I feel that at the end, you only serve at the pleasure of the electorate. And if the electorate don't want you, no matter what deal you put in place, the electorate don't want you. It's that simple. Well, you, it, can, you can try and book them, yeah. but they'll book back. Well, this is the this is the thing about parliamentary democracy. It's that, like, uh, I suppose technically the technically. Um, the right to the right to remain in power depends on the the consent of the majority in the parliament, not the consent of the major the public at any given time. But it could make it very difficult uh, for the gov- country to be effectively governed if you have an extremely unpopular unpopular incumbent. You know, it could make social consent uh, for what it means. You know, very difficult uh, if, for example, the person due to be the the next Taoiseach, uh, if they are leading a party which, uh, you know, has extremely low support, supporting the teens, uh, as far as we can tell from opinion polls, almost more or less, um, it could cause huge tension. But then uh, the thing about our system is, that, you know, which is quite a centralized, executive dominated system, is that uh, the more unpopular a government is, uh, the the less there is, the, the less likely it is that there will be acquiescence within the political establishment towards an early election because everybody everybody knows the writing is in the wall they'll lose their seats you know what i mean uh so uh at the end of the day i, I think the, you see the thing is in order for an election to happen that either has to be triggered by a Taoiseach okay there's two ways it has to be triggered by a Taoiseach by their own consent okay or it has to be triggered by a section of TDs who are currently within the governing majority Okay, and both of those entities have huge reasons not to trigger an early election. Uh, no, we, Mark, we've covered this. There's there they don't, like the Greens have no interest in going back to the people. The mm-hmm. uh, Finna Fall are saying, well, actually, now things are kind of slightly marginally improved. Maybe we hang on. And and Finna Gael have 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 said, well, we want our go in government because we think we've lost the you know the the, the wind has gone over sails. But you're right to point out that that trend. For government unpopularity has actually been growing. We've seen it in in opinion poll after opinion poll. So they are deeply unpopular now, uh, mm. and I I don't see them uh, changing that anytime there, soon. I mean, the, the, there isn't there isn't a huge difference in polls, okay, between the and I, I say this as someone who's very anti-government personally. I mean, but I I, I there's there isn't a huge difference in polls between the current coalition exactly and, and what and the results we got yeah. and an alternative. Like I mean, so. You, you know, um, if you, I, if, I'm not sure if, I agree. Own, if, if you threw the 
the DNA government adjacent the independents who are mm-hmm. DNA government adjacent and you threw the, the what's the rump of the Green Party and the yeah. two of them together, they're still there. They still they're still yeah, there's, I mean, they, they could still cobble together at least a minority government or or you know possibly majority again. It is very possible. They could there could be a uh, a sort of a, a, a reverse rainbow of the civil war parties. Yes, we don't know. I mean, anything could happen. It's all very unpredictable. Uh, but certainly, I wouldn't say that it's a fait accompli that the government is is not going. To, you know, some some version of this government is not going to be returned whenever, yeah. even when there is an election. You know, yeah. um, you can see Martin is uh, Martin is like, <laughs> no, he's dying for this election. Dying <laughs> for. <it. laughs> I think. I think that I just on a on a a side point. I think it's going to be. Um, the the most unusual election we've had. I think in, in maybe 50, 60 years, I think it's going to be a very unusual election. Yeah, well, I think it'll be very different in that you. it, it, it seems very likely that Sinn Féin will have the uh, a clear lead as, as, the, as the largest party, but where its coalition options will probably be lesser than are for the current setup, you know? Uh, because you know, for, you know, Sinn Fein and Labour are not obvious bedfellows. Sinn Fein and 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 the Greens are certainly not obvious bedfellows. So they would be reliant on, um, they would be reliant on the support of probably a combination of the Social Democrats, the Radical Left, and left wing independents. Uh, the thing is, though, that um, I mean, you know, the 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 the, the, the real politique of that. Seems difficult, I think. But uh, who knows? You know, who knows what will happen? For all we know, I mean, if, the, the real majority, it's possible. But the uh, real you know, politic of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael together was a, was a difficult. Concept yeah, I mean, but the thing well. is, I mean, it, 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 like the 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 once they once 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 a government arrangement is concluded, there are huge stabilizing factors at play, particularly the. The fear TDs have, whether explicit or otherwise, of facing the electorate early. You know that uh, that's, that's the major stabilizing factor because everyone knows that to 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 take steps to remove or bring down a government basically means losing their jobs before they need to. Um, so, however unlikely an arrangement is, the DNA of our system, the nature of our system, tends towards stabilizing it. We've had unlikely arrangements in the past. I mean, the rainbow itself was extremely unlikely. Um, and going further back again in history, you can find other. It, it's other it, 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 two, two two things. I need to move on. First of all, I keep stop. I don't. I don't. I don't agree with the radical left being radical anymore. And I don't. Also, don't agree that um that with Martin's point that you know the arrangement Fianna Fáil and Finnegale that was a lot of shadow boxing for a hundred years. Okay, they've just eventually now admitted that there's not much really between them when you put up when you put aside a lot of things. I want to come on. You did a very interesting thread. On, about the right to housing in the constitution. Now, again, full disclosure, uh, we've obviously been covering that across the Tortoise Shack for a long time. Rory Heron is a member of Home for Good from Reboot Pod, and the Home for Good Coalition are pushing for this referendum to be inserted into the, what they say to balance the right to private property against the right to housing. Uh, Owen, you you were kind of making the point about it in general terms. I just want to before you before we get into it, I want to also make one point that to counteract what I've just said, the UN Special Rapporteur has actually said that we have an international right to housing. She's written to to the previous government and said you're you're failing in that requirement. And the government said, no, we're not. We're we're doing, you know, at the time they had 
Owen Murphy's plan rebuilding Ireland and they said that was the plan. So Owen, tell me why you think maybe it's not the greatest use of energy um, to to insert this balancing right into into the constitution. Okay, well, for, there are two different kinds of amendments you might have around housing, okay, or they might be bound up together. The first type is you would have, say, an amendment to remove existing barriers to housing action, okay? You might have something which, say, further pairs down the right to housing. But the thing is, you'd have to ask, you know, what what is it that a government or this government wants to do that it can't already constitutionally do? Sometimes property rights and so on have been used as um, as a pretext for inaction or for not doing things but we know we've had more ambitious social housing projects in the past under the current constitution. The constitutional barriers sometimes cited are usually illusory anyway. So, uh, you know, you, if, if a government were to propose a referendum to balance the right to property in, in view of the of, of, of the right to housing, um, you know, uh, this would be in order to do what? And, you know, is it something it actually wants to do? So to what end would such an amendment, what purpose would it serve? Uh, it would, you know, I think there's a huge risk of it being just simply a distraction. Okay, now the other, uh, the other type of amendment you might have might be a general declaration of a right to housing. Okay, and such, a, such rights exist, uh, for example, in the Constitution of South Africa. And there, there is such thing as a, a, there are judicial declarations of it possible that the government has failed in its obligations to progressively realize that right. Okay, so the right there, there being a right to housing in most systems wouldn't mean that you know everybody gets a free house as Radcar has put it kind of dismissively, or it wouldn't mean that um that the fact that you don't have housing means that you automatically get a remedy. Uh it would mean that there's a qualified obligation on governments to take steps uh to bring to progressively realize this right. That's that's what it would mean. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but the thing is, having a having a general principle enunciated in the constitution doesn't tend to be a particularly effective way of materializing the kinds of changes we want. Okay, and we've been here before. I mean, we've we 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 have this habit of writing into the constitution very well-meaning declaratory language about various good things and you know how we see ourselves and what's right and good. And um, that being a kind of a ritual or a, a symbolic act in itself, uh, but without it actually affecting much material difference. We've been here before, for example, if you look at the, the amendment of 2012, children's rights, uh, the natural and imprescriptible rights of children. And you know what's happened since? You have increased child homelessness, you have children's disability services decimated, you have... so. You know, putting something in the constitution for very complex reasons doesn't tend to have the transformative powers that many people imagine it does. So I, I you know it's it's a pity in a sense I say this is a, in a very negative view of the subject I teach in some ways or a very modest view of its of its of its importance or its power. Um, so I mean you know for example we all went to the polls in 2012 and by a majority of 57% we all voted to enshrine the rights of children. Uh, Article 42A, proclaiming that state recognizes and affirms the natural and imprescriptible rights of all children and shall, as far as practicable by its laws, protect and vindicate those rights. Okay, so natural rights might include all sorts of amorphous things, including the right to shelter, including, you know, the right to bodily integrity and so on. And uh, what difference has it made in terms of austerity and the running down of services, if all? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there is a risk of gaslighting. There's a risk of deflection. There's a risk of distraction. There's a, there's a risk of well-meaning people's energies and time being funneled into something that makes very little difference. I, I can't disagree with you. I kind of think I kind of think that we have to have something stronger than just um, a constitutional. And it's you know rights unless you can attest your right, it's not a right. So if you have it there, you have a constitutional right to housing, and then you go to your government and say, I have no house, I have a constitutional right to it. There's a huge gap between having the right and the government doing something about it. People forget that like you can pass you can pass housing acts, you can pass legislation giving a right to housing. You can you can you can do lots of things. You, I mean, going to see having a referendum is very symbolically dramatic because you invoke the power of the people, and we all come along, and it's a way of it's 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 an excellent way of being seen to do something because of that symbolic potency in invoking the people and summoning to the polls to make a statement about what we view as important. If I if I can come in with a counterweight to both your arguments, um, there's okay. So back when he was in uh, opposition or in the the confidence and supply arrangement, uh, Dar O'Brien sat to my left and said that you know he was going to support the constitutional right to to the referendum to the right to housing. He's now talking about it. They've, they've set up that the they've asked people to send in their submissions. They've done all of this at every stage, though. Own the hierarchy, the upper hierarchy of Fine Gael have pushed back against it. There must be something that they don't like about it if Fine Gael are pushing back against it. Well, you see, uh, a very good analogy, a very good analogy would be the Climate Act, uh, in that um, if Ireland exceeds its emissions targets, if, the gov- if governments succeed emissions targets, um, you know, what, what can law do about that? Like, what can legally binding targets do about that? We don't do, for lots of reasons, we don't do stuff like, you know, impose liability on the per, on the on the relevant office holders we just it's not it's it, it's not something that's constitutionally in our in our you know in our grammar if you like so it will end up looking like something like a tap a slap on the wrist a judicial slap on the wrist a declarations as to uh you know a fa- legal failures in that sense and that's probably what um a housing a housing rights um the, the- would look like, but the thing is, it, it, so a housing rights amendment won't materialize housing by itself. No. Okay, obviously, I mean, constitutional amendments can't materialize change in the world, and that's direct directly in that sense. Uh, but what they could do potentially is to cause a bit of a headache for governments if they're subject to judicial declarations as to these legal legal failures. Um, and you know that that's something that even that they may they may they may wish to avoid. You know, right, can, um, I, can I can I give you a real life thing that, that that I found about about to go to your point, but it's it's in housing realm, but it's 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 related. There's a not not for profit developer uh, Okulon that are looking at a site to develop affordable housing, and one of the, the local authorities has the site, so they could just it's in their power. But they're yeah. saying, well, we've actually had to pay servicing on this. And the state are saying, well, they need to recoup their money. And if they if they, they decide to make it, if the state decides to make money on it, you can't build the houses affordably because then all of a sudden you're doing a lot, you're capturing the land value, right? Yeah. But it's a state and another state entity who are, who are, no one's losing any money. It's money from one balance yeah. sheet to the next. What we should be demanding a government rather than an amendment is to say, look, look, what concrete legal measures in housing, whether it be rent control, whether it be supply or otherwise, what what you actually wish to do here, go and try to do it, okay? Let it be legally challenged. uh, Let it be constitutionally challenged. And then we figure out what the actual property rights barriers to action are. 
And then when, if we figure out that such barriers do exist, then we would have an amendment to get rid of those barriers. Leading with the amendment seems like a distraction to me. It seems like, you know, before we wish know what they wish to do with this, uh, the only way we can really figure out uh, the way our system works is that the only way we can figure out what the constitutional barriers are is to attempt action in the first place, to test the limits. Um, and you see, it, otherwise, you know, you kind of, you're thinking like, is the amendment itself going to be the, the, the substitute for actual action? So an amendment would be valuable. A, a, a constitutional amendment would be valuable in facilitating or permitting more concrete forms of action. We're obviously more interested primarily in what those concrete forms of action are, okay? And the amendment would have secondary importance in enabling those to happen, but it may well not be necessary to begin with. And if you lead with the amendment without having any idea of what the constitutionally creative or currently impermissible measures are, if you don't know what those are, then the whole thing looks a little bit cynical, to be honest. And you, I mean, you, you have this risk of, of activists getting led down the garden path as well, and you know, you know, being misled into believing that this is a path for, it's a fruitful path for change, where whereas that might not, might 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 well not turn out to be the case. Yeah, can I ask? And I'm going because I agree with you. They should test it in the courts, find where the weaknesses are, and then then that's where you Just, go and you change. Can, now, Martin, I'll let you let you come in on that. Just. Do you remember Ed Holohan uh, when he was the master of the High Court saying, um, "Why don't yeah. no one ever takes the case? No one ever t- takes the That's case." Right. And he and like, you know, um, that was like Ed was problematic to that then Finnegale government because he was forever speaking out about it in terms of uh, what was happening around the mortgage arrears crisis and 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 the right to housing. Uh, I, I suppose the question from me, and it, it ties into energy as well. And we'll say housing gets so bad or energy gets so bad that the need is very great for some measure to be taken now how does nationalizing some say you wanted to nationalize some of that that riot housing that's out there say you wanted to nationalize carb gas state uh carb mm-hmm. gas field constitutionally where do we stand on doing stuff like that for, for the need uh, and it's i'm talking well, about the need you, basis. you 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 certainly don't have any categorical prohibitions on nationalisation. There might be issues to do with compensation, I think, of those expropriators or those uh, as it's nationalised. It's uh, something I'm not that uh, expert on, to be honest, but we haven't had, you know, as far as I as far as far I can tell, we haven't had any major nationalisations in a very long time. So it's probably something that's slightly ambiguous, I imagine, to, uh, to, be, to, to begin with. Uh, Rachel Walsh and Trinity actually authored a book on on, on property rights, uh, constitutional property rights in Ireland. Uh, so she'd be a great person to get in the show sometime on the technicalities of this. But certainly, um, uh, constitutional barriers to political action generally are exaggerated. They're generally used as deflection or used as an excuse. There's generally a precautionary approach taken in the sense that if something might be constitutional, it might be unconstitutional, it's assumed it is. And the unfortunate pattern has been for these issues to be resolved uh, within the office of the Attorney General, by, based on unpublished advice from the Attorney General, rather than through a transparent legal process where it's tested in the courts. Okay, uh, so um, you know, I, 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 you, you, you know, we we have had very different economic arrangements in the past under the current constitution, where public utilities, you know, that are not currently owned have been in the past. And where the language of the constitution very much envisage a mixed economy. Like if you read the directive principles of social policy, 
uh, which are non-binding in Article 45, they do very much envisage a mixed economy, which would have been norm around the time the Constitution was uh, was was adopted anyway. You know, it was the inter- interwar uh, period where you would have had a sense of uh, corporatism and vocationalism and where there would have been, um, you know, a strong role for the state envisaged in the economy. It was certainly not a laissez-faire spirit in which the, the Constitution was, was, was adopted and, and enacted. So uh, I don't think that there's any categorical issue about nationalization as such, no. The, proce- the process by which it's done uh, and the company. You're right. It, 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 the, pr- the process why it's done is, is the cost. And it's the cost of doing it. And then, you know, the, and how much of that you have to swallow up front. And we see this whereby, yeah. you know, if we have the likes of trade agreements that bring in investor courts where they can say we have these this and now we've you know we've we've booked these profits up to 2050 we want our our pound of flesh that's where the problem comes and becomes at the cost of doing that sort of business however you know look we live in a we live in a world where they want us to pretend that it's impossible to do things that they did during the pandemic you know rent freezes eviction bans and and the like those things happened and we we yeah. can't unsee them so uh, look Ona, thanks so much for talking to us i really do uh, appreciate it um i know it went a bit longer than we than we anticipated but martin got very right. excited about the ideas of uh, of of bringing down a government so i thought it was really well worthwhile. i just think it's it's nice to know that Above what we're told, or besides what we're told, that the, these are certainties in within government, that they're not actually certainties. And I think it's nice to know that they're not certainties. Yeah, everything is, you know, in politics, everything is contingent, and particularly so in the parliamentary system. You know? We don't, we don't, we're not, we're not like the Americans and electing a president for a term of fixed term of four years. And people maybe have that impression because of TV, you know, it doesn't work like that. So, yeah. Oh, and thanks anyway, again. Thanks again for your that. time. Listen, folks, no we're back tomorrow. Um, actually, yeah, Rory's back tomorrow. So yeah, more of that to come. Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, 